0: Is there such thing as rock bottom? Have you ever been at rock bottom? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe you know somebody that's been at rock bottom. Maybe you know someone there right now. And I'm talking about the deepest, darkest rock bottom. Feelings of sadness, loneliness, even depression. Now, what we should all acknowledge is this. Some of the most successful people on the planet have been there, and they've not just been there, they've overcome it and they've prevailed, and that's what today's speaker has been. She's been there. She's called Nazia Katun. Family pressures, coming out of boxing, into working life, and guess what? She's overcome it. She's not just overcome it, she's found a blueprint for overcoming it. She successfully helps people now with fitness, with fitness. Body with their mind. And she's proud to be the person that she is. And I'm indeed incredibly proud to have interviewed her on your behalf. Enjoy every minute. Let's do this. Nazia. Yeah. So, how much do we really turn up as our true self?
1: Yeah. I don't think we do. Why? Um, There's parts of us that we're always hiding. Because we're scared about what other people will judge and say about us. 100%. I discovered this this week about myself.
0: How did you discover that?
1: Um, I'm on a journey this year. And I feel like I'm trying to carve out more parts of me, like the true authentic self. Um, and I'm all about living in my authentic self. And I'm questioning how much of my authentic self am I living in. And like I study a lot. I like to do a lot of personal development. And listen to some of the lectures you know, I'm just like questioning everything about myself. Like how much of my true self am I actually living in? And the reality is not enough of it.
0: How much is anyone?
1: I think all of us, in Japan, Japan, they have this saying that we all wear three masks. Mm-hmm. One is for our true selves, the one that nobody sees when we're by ourselves. Right. Right. <laughs> the other one is for our immediate family and friends. And then the third one is public, strangers but the real mask we want to be in is the one that where we're by Ourself, ourselves. Ourself, the first mask. Yeah.
0: And so what, what do you reckon it takes then to live as oneself, truly authentic?
1: Owning every parts of ourselves, like being okay, accepting every parts that's not good, the bad, the flaws. We don't accept the bad parts because we always put on a show for other people. Like I want you to like me, so I'm yeah. gonna do what I have to do for, you, for me to be liked. And we learned that from a very young age.
0: And this is, this is, I want to bring up a subject next yes. that's potentially a little bit controversial and it's something that you're an expert in helping people in.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm going to mention weight first and then weight loss mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. So what, what impact does that have on people showing up as the true self?
1: So this is, I love that question. I went to the gym this morning right. and I spent the last year wearing a hoodie and putting a jumper around my waist purely because I put some weight on. I went through an intensive year of therapy last year. And this morning I said, I'm not doing that anymore. Sod it, just own what weight you put on. And it's not even that much. I came from a background of going through body dysmorphia and an eating disorder. So that always plays up in my head. So today I decided, okay, I'm not going to actually wear a jumper or put a hoodie around my waist. And it just made me question, like everything I'm doing is with the intention now. So when people are hiding all the time, not all, everyone, I'm not saying everyone, there are some people that are quite big, body plus size, whatever it is, and they own it. And I think that's a beautiful thing, is acceptance of who they really are.
0: It's a nice affirmation that, isn't it? Mm. Come on, own it, James. Own it, Nazi. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what does it take to have that confidence, if you like, for someone to say, Come on, I'm owning this, I'm owning who I am.
1: So I have this saying, and this is something I learned um, in part of the neuroscience course I did with fitness as well. And it's showing up, just show up. It doesn't matter if you're having a bad day. It doesn't matter if you're having an emotional day like I am today, but you'll never know because I'm just gonna show up and just do what I have to do. I'll deal with the emotions and I'm gonna accept my emotion. I'm gonna do it with grace and I'm gonna do it with honor. But if I don't show up, and I did this parts of the times, I'm sure we're gonna talk about Hmm. this when I went through my darkness and everything. It could be the toughest day, and I would just want to stay in bed all day long, cry, eat. But if you don't show up, that's when you go back a bit.
0: Is showing up more than half of the equation?
1: I think it solves most of the problems in life, such as going to the gym. Let's use the gym as a metaphor. Not every day I do I want to train. Not every day do I want to show up as this fitness coach. I want to binge eat. I want to eat. But I do it because I know for a fact, if I... What do you want to binge eat? Cakes, chocolates, the things that we all do, right? If I don't show up in the gym for myself, then I can't show up for you or the people that love me, my lovers, um, my clients, whatever it is, right? So showing up solves most of our problems. The gym solves most of our problems. It's a powerful
0: statement, that, isn't it? Showing up solves most of our... I did a podcast with Brad Sugars. He's the founder of Action Coach, actually. Yeah. And we were talking about re- relationships and he says there's two things that's really important in developing relationships. One, reach out. Yeah. Two, show up.
1: 100%. I'm glad I said the right thing then. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's all the right thing.
1: I think yeah. I'm learning about reaching out more as I'm getting older as well and not having fear of being judged.
0: Can we can we just talk about weight loss as yeah. well? Because yeah. a lot of society, a lot of people in business that mm. want to lose a little bit of weight, get a bit fitter and yeah. healthier. Um, what stops people losing weight?
1: A lot of things. It's not just about losing weight. So I don't want to focus on the losing weight. I think it's about being better for yourself. okay? and I think in Western society now we have so much emphasis on this body positive movement, which can be very, very toxic. And I say this with such love and grace as well, because if you don't look after the home that you're living in, and we have six environments that we live in, but the first environment that you're going to live in is your body. That's going to be your first home. Mm -hmm. And this is the vehicle that drives you every single path of life from the time you're born to the time you die. If you don't look after this essential part of your life, you miss out the fundamental essence of living. And I say this and I get really passionate about it because, you know, you can, you can have people that are just wallowing through life, just floating. And then you have other people who are actually consciously making a choice to better themselves because they don't like the home that they're living in. And the home that you're living in is going to be the garden of everything. It's where you're going to be living in the emotions of happiness, gratitude, joy. And I think people miss out this one point. Do it for yourself, not anybody else.
0: You know, you brought it down to choice there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: When it gets down to it, how many people do you think actually make that choice? This is my home. This is where I'm living. I'm going to own it.
1: Not a lot. This is why we have a very um, pandemic crisis with obesity. People going through mental health We've issues.
0: all. We, we've also got this kind of revolution that's mm-hmm. around us now, almost this empowerment revolution. Mm-hmm. There's lots of self-development books, mm-hmm. self-help books and a lot of people listening to podcasts like mm-hmm. this just getting that extra injection of something that's going to mm. help help them forge forward in life but mm. is there a difference between learning learning it knowing you've got to do it and then going and doing it
1: absolutely And I say this to my clients all the time, and I take this on board as well. Being self-aware is important. And I think you're already doing yourself justice by being aware of your patterns, your behavior, things that you need to work on. But if you don't take the action to change it, then you're just sitting there doing the same thing all the time. And doing the same thing all the time is going to give you back the same result. I know it sounds really cliche, but it's true. If you know that you have to make a change, and I give my example of myself today, Every year I spend today doing things like isolation, going into isolation mode. don't want to talk to anyone, don't want to be out there. I just want to be in my negative thoughts. Let me be. But yesterday, I had this moment, I go, "Well, you can't even doing this every year. You've been doing this every year, right? And there's a different set of emotions I'm feeling this year, and I'm not sure how to put it into context yet. I go, I'm going to feel it. I'm sort of going to show up to this podcast. I'm still going to talk to my friends that need me. I had an amazing conversation before I came here that relaxed me, gave me more insight. And it's just about saying to yourself, yes, this is me right now, but I also want to be this other person, my future self, the potential that we all have within ourselves. So making that choice for yourself is going to be so important all the time.
0: You did mention in the middle of all that, you had a critical conversation that relaxed you Mm -hmm. in order to go and show up somewhere, yeah? Yeah just got me thinking, how important are those critical conversations and how important mm-hmm. is that moment of, I don't know, ownership or relaxation mm-hmm. before, before you do something
1: major? For me, like I meditate, I do a gratitude how list often do you med- every day, every day. Um, what I,
0: kind of meditation do you do?
1: Anything from a gratitude meditation to calming me down. Yeah. And it's just about thinking, okay, how am I gonna regulate my central nervous system when I'm high with anxiety? Is there any
0: time of the day that you do Morning it? Time. You do do it in the morning time. So you meditate in the morning, how long for?
1: It depends, it depends. If I wake up late, I need to at least do five minutes. If I don't get my, I always say, I'm my first client first in the morning. I don't do eight o'clock starts. I won't even start at nine o'clock. I start at 10 and 11 o'clock. So I get my routine done, go to the gym. Then I'm a better human being. I'm back in my prefrontal cortex. I'm not running with the motion or what's going on or reacting, I need to respond. And my clients need me to respond to them rather than reacting, you know? They're coming to me for help. And if I'm the one who's going to them in chaos, how is that serving them? It's not.
0: I really like what you said there about the five minutes, cause even yeah. if it's only five minutes, yeah. it still helps.
1: Oh, absolutely. And for me, like praying, I'm, I come from a Muslim background. Oh, that doesn't even make sense. I am Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> Proudly. Uh, yeah, I am Muslim. And that journey itself has taught me so much. Um, not being, not praying and then coming in the last six, five years, really practicing the art of praying and being grateful in that moment. You know, it calms me. Yeah. It's like it's a connecting part of me to my creator. And then the gratitude list, the breath work. The so, t- so
0: talk us through the gratitude list.
1: Well, the gratitude list is something... I mean, people who follow me, they know I do this every single day. And hopefully a lot of people have learned parts of it. It's not just about going to the gym, looking a certain way, right? It is also about looking after your mental, emotional well-being, your mental health. And what I learned about gratitude actually changed a big part of my life. It rewired the way. It's just, if you look at it scientifically, what it does to our brain, right it regulates so much when you joy being grateful is like one of the highest form of frequency and the vibration that we can have it changes the brain the subconscious mind it takes you away from thinking about the negative stuff maybe
0: maybe that, uh, what's coming to my mind is relaxing because i i do it as well yeah. we do it as um as a family meal when mm. we're eating our dinner at about That's half amazing. past five we've got three kids yeah seven
1: seven
0: and five and everybody says what they're grateful for.
1: I love that. That's amazing. And it,
0: and the kids are the fighting for it. So I, I want to go first.
1: Mm. We do it all the time in parts of you know being a Muslim, being yeah. grateful, right? And we have this saying in Islam: "Be grateful, and I'll give you more." Shukr, be shukr, like be happy. And we forget sometimes. Say know. the phrase again. <laughs> what did I just say? Be grateful, and I'll give you more. Right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I was interested
1: in being grateful. I'm paraphrasing, but I'm sure people who are watching this, they will know. Um, But it's there in every religion. It's there in every parts of our life. But we just don't see it. We miss it. And being abundantly grateful for everything, even the smallest things, will help you just see the light at the end of the tunnel as well. And I think for me, it was one of the most profound things that I discovered, practice, and it took me years to practice, by the way. And doing it before you go to sleep, again, you wake up in a different vibe. And I've tested this out so many times. I get my clients to do it. Like, it's so magical. Just that gratitude list can change somebody's way of thinking about themselves.
0: All right, so you talk about breathing there. We've not mentioned that, but you also mentioned that in your list there. Um, being grateful, doing some meditation. That's yeah. a lot of stuff that you, you're in control of yourself. Yeah. Now you did mention you had a critical conversation with someone else Mm. that helped sort of calm you down today of all days. So how important is that external input?
1: I think having a social connection, we are made to be, we belong in tribes. We don't do it by ourselves. So anybody who says, what was it? That that phase that they have, the entrepreneurs, self-made. Okay. It's bullshit, (laughs) okay? Somebody along the line had to help you. And having those critical conversations, whether it's critical or not, there's a part of our brain called the amygdala. This is where fear yeah. lives, right? When you're talking to somebody about the problems that you're scared about, or I mean, sometimes our emotions are wrong, right? We don't, we can't trust them. But when you're talking to somebody, they are listening. A part of this heavy weight comes off, but they're also lending you their prefrontal cortex, yeah. right? So you can have a logical input mm-hmm. of the things that you're worried about, and that's what we do as coaches, right? We help clients. And to get back to the logical part of the brain. And having that conversation, just coming here, just was like, okay, what are you scared about? You've done this a hundred times now. So just go in, it's just another day. Just treat it, tell your truth. And that's it. That's all I had to be reminded about was tell your truth. And that's it.
0: Let's talk about fear then. Okay. Where do we start on that? Because it means it's around the whole world all the time.
1: Yes, it is. More now than ever before.
0: Why more now than ever before?
1: Well, we've just come out of a pandemic. Three years later, people are still probably struggling with it. Um, if we look at how the world is going, I see more good than bad. But obviously, if you're watching the news, you're going to see more bad. And that's fear-induced way of living for a lot of people. Like I don't watch the news. I don't even read the newspaper. I don't live in that reality. My reality is what I'm doing right now is being present with myself. And, you know, in my opinion, when we are run by fear, we don't do anything. And that's why I say to people, that like, you have to live in your truth all the time. Free yourself from the shackles of the society's norms and what you're supposed to be doing. And that's very hard. Even in my community, we find it very hard to own who we are. Like, we have a lot of pressures, what our parents want us to do and to actually <laughs> please them. A lot of us are ple- people pleasers without even realising it.
0: Live your truth, own it, be present with yourself. I mean, that's the first thing that we talked about mm-hmm. here today as well, yeah. wasn't it? yeah. I mean that being being authentic. Are there any other types of fear out there that stops people being successful?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Loads. Like for me, I look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I still have a lot of fear around um, what I'm doing. Imposter syndrome. Um,
0: yeah, that's a big one, isn't it? Imposter oh, hundred
1: percent, hundred percent.
0: That that's for you. I mean, yeah, the Nadia cartoon. <laughs> You know, imposter syndrome.
1: (laughs) I have a beautiful way of composing everything, I think. Um, But we do, and I'm very open about it as well. Like, it's not as wild in my head as it used to be when I started out. Um, And I think that's because through the work that I do. And a part of it is validation, 100%. And my clients give me validation that what I'm doing is good and it's helping them. And another part is, again, going back to owning who you are. Like, accepting you as a whole
0: person so so, so just for the listeners now that are coming Mm -hmm. in what is imposter syndrome
1: um like for me this is the best way i describe it like this is me as a person and there's a voice in my head telling me i can't do it i don't deserve it you're being fake and the whole world is gonna find out that you're not who you show up to be right and that's the best because way. you
0: like to have a cake and yeah, you know, hit snooze on <laughs> exactly. the alarm. Exactly,
1: exactly. No, I don't press snooze ever. By the way, <laughs>
0: oh, you, 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 you mentioned <laughs> if I got up later, you said sometimes, uh, like right. the time
1: of the month, you okay. know, we can sleep in, or you've had a late night, you right. can Um, And that's the best way I can describe the imposter syndrome is that not a voice that constantly—it's like a not psychopath. You're not good enough, and we we live our whole life not feeling good enough, and it's just. Saying, okay, you need to calm down. Like, I'm in control. Like, you do what I tell you How to do. How do you overcome it? Do a lot of mirror work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's clearly a mirror behind me. Yes.
1: Beautiful mirror yeah. here. Yeah. No, I, I've, in my, in the past, like, showing up as what a speaker. What do you do in the speaker, mirror? I do a lot of self-talk. Like, in the mirror? Yeah. Like, I have a moment to myself, like, in the bathroom before I came here. Calm down. You can do this. You're good at what you do. Um, I believe in you. That's what my inner child needs to hear. So, doing all of that kind of stuff.
0: You know, that last bit, you got me there. In a child. Yeah. Yeah. I believe in you. Yeah. Do you ever put your name into all of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I believe in you nausea. Yeah, I believe in you, nausea. I'm I'm proud of you. Go do what you have to do and own it. Everything comes back to owning it for me and showing up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, own it, show up. Big big phrases for today, aren't they?
1: I think the little child is always scared. The little boy in you, the little girl in me. We just need to hold his and her hand and just guide them like... Our parents did when we were growing up. And along the way, we forget what the inner child needs. That's why we're always like, in this state. How of. often
0: do you do that level of self
1: Um, When I need to. Today, I needed to do it more than yesterday. And I probably won't do it for a very long time till right. I have to do it.
0: Do, do you know what, what sprung to mind there? And it, it's, it's, I'm not challenging by saying this. You know, doing it when you need to do it, is that too late?
1: For me personally, because I've done it for so many years, Right. It's like the gratitude journal. Yeah. I don't actually actively write a gratitude journal anymore. I am living, right. being grateful in the moment right mm-hmm. now. But when you oh. practice doing something new, you have to do it every single day. So repetition creates that pattern again. It rewires the subconscious mind. So when I say I need to do it, I mean, I still do the mirror work unconsciously. Like I'll be like, yeah, you goodness. You're having a good day today. We're going to have a good day today. I do it because it's already at the back of my head.
0: <laughs> I like the cheekiness though. Yeah. You're really good now. You've <laughs> you you got this. You've got this
1: You have to. But when I'm having a very intense emotional day and I feel like I'm out of control with anxiety or, you know, those are the days when I have to do the self-talk more. And then I have to pay attention to what led me to get to that point where I can't control those feelings. And when you get to a state where you can't control, it's because you've missed out on everything that you're supposed to be doing. Going exercising, drinking more water, um, looking after your mental health, having a good conversation, checking in with your loved ones—these are all important facets of being a human.
0: You strike me as someone that's really self-aware there, because like you're bringing up a load of topics, and I'm kind of wanting to dip in and out of all of them. Anxiety is a big one; mm-hmm. it's you know it's very common in business.
1: Yeah, I dealt with anxiety, oh, crazily like chronic anxiety. I was an amateur boxer um, in my twenties. And I put a lot of my negative emotions into sports. And I went to therapy last year because I had an addiction to the gym. (laughs)
0: Addiction (laughs)
1: to the gym. Yes. Because I used it as a coping mechanism. I'm laughing because when people listen to this, they're like, how can you have an addiction to the gym? It
0: sounds like a good habit, doesn't it?
1: But anything, people, yeah, that's the thing. And I wrote an article about this. um, somewhere on my laptop. I haven't published it yet, but it needs to go out. Something... That's good as exercising. People don't see it as an addiction. But the addiction is the same as somebody yeah. who's taking drugs. And for me, being aware of that gave me such an insight of what I've been doing my whole life. I've just been trying to manage anxiety. And I was like, I don't want to be that person anymore. So do what you have to do. Get help, get therapy. And the gym is a big part of my life. You can't take that away from me. Mm. It's the same as drinking water, eating. It's what gives me life it makes me be who i am as i am today um, but i have to be careful
0: what's the balance point then
1: you know what in life we don't i don't i don't believe in balance anymore i really don't i do you know i don't like right now for me i just want to be in the moment of everything that i can like i'm going to seize every opportunity that comes to me even if it means i'm tired obviously i can't get to the point i'm so tired and i can't function But, like, I'll give you an example. On Sunday, um, I wanted to to go to my nephews, see them. They live out of London. I wanted Mm -hmm. to come back home, cook my food, make sure I'm ready for the week ahead. I wanted to spend some time with people that I love and be around like my friends. And I thought, I'm exhausted. I need to make a choice what I want to do. I go, sod it. You're not going to get this time. But the balance comes in what you want to do, the priority, and that's where people actually mess up. If you don't prioritize what's important to you and you try to be everything and anything for everyone, you crash. I'll
0: tell you what was beautiful, what you just said there. <laughs> Sod it. Yeah. You know, that little phrase, if you like, mm. it lets go.
1: Mm-hmm. It
0: means it means you move on. It's You're not hanging on to it anymore. Yeah. So, you know, how important is letting go then in, in being your true self?
1: It's a very, very important thing. Thing. um
0: what do you think you gotta let go of
1: okay um i have to think this um one you have to let go of the old version of yourself that no longer serves you one you have to forgive yourself for the things that you did or didn't do yeah in, when you were in survival mode and somebody one of my close friends chris reminded me this is that
0: easier said than done it's hard to forgive yourself
1: oh, absolutely it's very hard You can forgive the person. Have you ever forgiven yourself? When I started this journey, it was all based on forgiveness. And it makes me very intensive in talking about this. I don't know why. But it was the most hardest thing. And I think I embarked last week, coming into this week, maybe I still need to do more work around self-forgiveness. Because I haven't let go of a few things that are still niggling me. That's bringing up emotional flashbacks or whatever it is. So I think it's a forever journey because it's not a linear narrative.
0: I I did learn from, you know, one of the best in the world, Martin Newman is um, emotional intelligence Mm. uh, professor. Yeah. And um, he did say, he did talk about ultimate self-leadership and being able to forgive. You don't have to forget, you don't have to forget the stuff. And there is a difference between forgiving and forgetting, but he says that's the top trait of emotional intelligence, the ability to forgive. Yeah you have to forget.
1: No, absolutely. I agree. And it's something that we need to talk about more because it will help so many people.
0: See, when he talked about that, that released some for me, it's cause mm. I don't need to like black it out or mm. anything like that. It's just, mm. you know, forgive yourself for it. You'd have to forget that it's happened because you're probably not gonna forget. It's yeah. really hard to forget things.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, not not I think. I know for a fact, guilt and shame is what keeps a lot of us stuck. Yeah. And we can't move on from that. And like the amount of healing work and personal development work I've done in the last decade, I'm grateful for all of that. I'm grateful, like I had to make a turning point at some point in my life. And I'm like, okay, you're going to do it because you're not that old girl anymore. Like when I look back at my twenties, oh my God, I I cry for her. I cry for her out of pity because she was just confused, lost. She was that girl that didn't look in the mirror and see her beauty. She was always seeking validation. Um, and that validation came from being an amateur boxer, a sports person, because you're worthwhile something then because you've got an identity. And then at the age of 30, I went through the darkness of depression and suicide. And that's when I had a, a second chance, shall I say, where not a lot of people do You know, depression and suicide is something that takes a lot of people out there. And it was just understanding, I don't need to be anybody else but me. And it's just going on this journey of finding out who me is. Like, you have to ask, what do I need? What do I desire? Who do I want to show up in the world? And going back to this idea of showing up, sometimes the world perceives me in a very different way as I perceive myself. But there's more to me than just this identity as a fitness coach. Like I love watching the sun go down and I'll cry maybe if I have to, or um, I love writing, right? These are other parts of me that I want the world to know. And you do that by just showing up again. You don't have to tell the world, like to be understood, you just show up.
0: Look, showing up big thing. In, it's in... for
1: every one of us, I think.
0: Well, look, let's, let's talk about depression because this is real. It's real in society. It's one of the worst things that, that you can ever experience, really, to be in a depressed state. Yeah, so, it makes
1: me nervous talking about it, to be fair.
0: And I'm, I'm okay with that. I mean, you say whatever you want to say. I don't say whatever you don't want to say.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So where should we start? I mean, we are tough times.
1: Let's start with my culture. Let's start with being Bangladeshi. Let's start with being a female. Uh, by the way. Yeah.
0: Jackie is always telling me this. Go on. She says, Bangladeshi food is the best it is. food. Is it the best?
1: It is. Hands down. Well <laughs> done, Jackie. <up. laughs> Get the man some rice and curry. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, Indian, <laughs> Indian food is my favorite food. And, and that's what I said to Jackie. She says, well, you're going to love Bangladeshi food even more.
1: But did you know, right? Know a little bit of history. <laughs> so we put Indian food in the bracket of Indian food, but all the chefs are actually Bangladeshi. So the whole colonization and all that okay. kind of stuff that happened. Um, Bangladeshi wasn't really on the map until 1972. But all the chefs are actually Bangladeshi. So you're eating Bangladeshi food without everybody there knowing about it. So, it. so it
0: already is my favorite food, <laughs> Yeah,
1: hey? But no, but the Indian food is somewhat different to actual home-cooked home- um, Bangladeshi food. Well,
0: one day we'll, <laughs> one day we'll see. <laughs> Inshallah. Okay. okay, so talk us through this, you know, uh, where we started there.
1: Yeah. Um, so in the south asian community we don't speak about depression we don't speak about mental health it's such a taboo topic it still is and it a lot was of.
0: over here like 10 15 years ago
1: it still is now but
0: melan- mm. i don't know because mental health has taken it it's accepted and acknowledged and we've got to do something mm. and there's a social responsibility now if you're an employer
1: mm. In the bigger context, yes, it's a big thing out there now, right? But in certain communities, we still don't address it very well. When I came into the fitness industry, one of my main mission was to actually change people's opinion about mental health. And that's when I started writing a lot on Facebook about my own journey. Some people loved it. Some people were like, okay, there's something wrong with her. Clearly, she wasn't raised right, blah, 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 blah. And what I found was, not only did it heal me, but it also brought my tribe to me. So I didn't have to do much work um, in in terms of creating what I needed to create at that time.
0: Were you were you the voice for them?
1: No, I wasn't the voice for them because everybody has a voice. They just don't know how to express their voices sometimes, right? Everybody's looking for somebody out You were out publicly
0: there. expressing though, what yeah. they might be believing.
1: Exactly. So publicly going up and saying, okay, I struggle with depression, and then saying, "You know what? I was suicidal as well." That takes a lot of courage to speak about. Why nobody really asks you why, and it's really hard to bring up those moments. But it's not just a single mo- moment that happened; it's a a eventful time, moments, days, years of suppressing emotions. And what I know about emotions is when you suppress them. It gets repressed and then it becomes depression. It's like the volcano that goes up. Our thoughts create feelings and our feelings create the reality. So if you keep going on with the same thought again and again and again, you are live in that moment, yeah. right? And in the moment of depression, you know, I stopped boxing. I had an eating disorder. I'm not married. Let's talk about this as well in the Asian community. There was a lot of pressure to be something that I wasn't as well i just turned the corner to become a fitness coach. Again, you know, these are things that my parents probably weren't happy about. And my family weren't as well. But I wanted to do it. But it took a lot for me to do it because this is what I wanted to do. And, you know, you're coming out of the flock, the tribe. And that's hard because you don't, nobody wants to be alone. So going through that depression, it was just, to, I would say a year or so, just feeling lost like not knowing how to.
0: With those thoughts on cycle. Yeah, like
1: feeling like a failure, feeling like I'm not going to be successful as my siblings, my friends. I'm not married created another big-
0: Did it change your personality?
1: (sighs) Oh yes, definitely. I went from an extroverted person, the one that was laughing, the clown in the friendship group to being the one who didn't even want to go out, like to the the one that didn't want to talk. I, could, I felt like there was like a frog in my throat every time.
0: But is this because of religious expectations, family expectations? What you, you said the one question that no one asked was why, and I've got to ask you that now you've said it.
1: Yeah, I think the why was an accumulation of not dealing with all my other wounds. Like the why was, why did I have an eating disorder? What was the root cause of it? What was it? Um, I've, you know, the identity crisis that we have, As a woman, being Bangladeshi, being brown, being accepted. That was the only control I had on my eating disorder. The boxing was the only thing that gave me meaning and purpose to my life. Um, Changing my career gave me a purpose. Because I knew what I wanted to do deep down. But I was also trying to please my parents. I'm the oldest child as well. So I'm supposed to set the way. I feel like I didn't. And the person that you're trying to please the most are your parents. And when you feel like you fail them, you feel like nothing. (laughs) You're literally, you might as well just not exist. And that took me through a train of emotions. And I think it's very important to touch on this as well. When you go from being an athlete who's training every single day of their life, and then it's nothing. And I stopped boxing because I got sick and tired of people telling me who's going to marry you because you're a woman, you're Asian, what guy's going to accept you? And I just got tired of it. I got tired of everything. And that, just, you know, the chemicals. How old were you at the time? At the time I was 30. So it was like a turning point. Yeah. I was just got, turning into 30. And um, it was just a horrible time. I, did, I had to Google my symptoms, <laughs> honestly. What
0: did you type in Google?
1: <laughs> How to tell if you're depressed.
0: And what did it tell you?
1: Um, sleeping a lot. I used to sleep like four or five times a day. Um, loss of appetite, um, I became really lean in the most. Did that,
0: was the loss of appetite because of your eating disorder or was it?
1: No, it's anxiety. Anxiety. Yeah, I wake up and I'm like, I'm tired, but I've just had 12 hours of sleep. My eyes look red, like what's going on? Um, being chaotic, taking everything personally. And there's so many other symptoms. Like emotionally, physically, the withdrawal from society, from friends, not wanting to go out anywhere and being angry all the time like gosh like, who was i then and then when i realized what was happening i had to take action what
0: made you realize what was happening
1: i was losing myself i was going was there down. an event
0: though was there something that happened oh my you god to
1: yes so many like which one do i tell you the uh,
0: one the, the tell us the one that changed paths the
1: realization okay i'll tell you one um Waking up having nightmares that I wasn't here. Like, I wanted to not be here. Right. Like, I hate so saying the word. Up. Yeah, I was having recurring dreams, like how to not be here. Um, writing out letters, imaginary letters to people like my sisters. <laughs> Here's my bank card details. Make sure you take all the bank out. If did I'm you write right. the letters? Yeah, I did, actually. I did. I did. And at the age of 35, I remember I opened up a book and there was a letter there and he just said, dear, I knew what that letter was about. I knew what that letter was about. And it was that moment of-
0: That was your letter?
1: Yeah, that was my letter to my younger sister saying, here's my bank details. Take all the money that you can. And I didn't even have that much, but take the money that, who's gonna spend it, right? And I wrote myself a letter at the age of 30, five years later at 35, and I couldn't open this letter until I turned 35. And that letter, oh, my God, this is so personal. That letter wrote down everything I wanted to see myself in five years' time. And do you know what that letter said? In five years' time, I wish to be happy. In five years' time, I wish to be healed. In five years' time, I wish not to be freaking depressed. In five years' time, I want to be the best ever fitness coach. In five years' time, I want to be married and have children, right? And I remember opening that letter on the 8th of June when I was 35, and there was nothing, anything else other than just me being happy. And I looked at that letter, and it was just such an emotional roller coaster because I was like, I had to work hard on to get to that state of happiness and leave the depression behind. Like it's not my story anymore. But you know, the body remembers things, and it will still bring up these little clips. But I think there was another moment, of course, like um, telling my sister when I was depressed and owning it like saying look I think I'm suicidal like, we don't speak about this but this is what's going on in my head and then it was just like oh crap now I've said it out loud I've owned the depression I've owned the thoughts of suicide what do you do now and that's when I had to take drastic change and just help myself but along the way you know, it's important to remember this as well fitness was my only friend People forget when you're going through times of depression or mental exhaustion, there's a place that you can call home that understands you. Yes, he was my saviour. As much as it ruined the parts of my life because, you know, the eating disorder, trying to be aesthetically pleasing, it saved me in the most craziest ways. I can't even explain it. And it still saves me from my emotions.
0: What you've just articulated is there is is your blueprint that you used to overcome that, which was having a safe place, what you just said. yeah. Writing a letter to your future self in in some way like that's setting your mindset for the future, yeah. And developing all of those areas that you said and sharing it, you know, saying it to someone else. How important was that? Once now you can't run away from it. You know, I, b- being truthful to say, "Look, I'm depressed" or "I'm suicidal."
1: It was actually the most hardest thing. I remember my dad was sat there, my brother was sat there, and my mum was. S- s- Standing How there, old were you? 31, I think, by then. Right. And I said to my dad, I said, did you know I was actually depressed and suicidal? And this is what I'm going through, or I have been going through. And I was just bawling in tears. And it's very really hard to cry in front of your t- parents, one, and then to tell them that you were suicidal. And I remember my mom, oh, what have we done to you? I'm like, you're the one who's done all of this. And you, know, you try to find blame yeah. in everything. And... My dad was like, what do you mean? My brother at that time, I remember, he, he, he came down a notch just to understand his older sister, what was going on and everything. And my dad went, what have we done? I go, stop pressurizing me with this marriage thing. It's too much. Like, just let me breathe in a little bit. And I had a turning point then just telling them, like, just leave me alone. Like, it's enough. I'm lucky to be here. You're lucky that I'm actually still here. And I remember when I went through those nightmares, like, this is as raw as I can get. Um, There was two things that saved me, actually. One was the gym, and the other one was, if you do something stupid, I never took action, by the way. I never would have had the guts to do it. But who knows? If I did, if I had it there, I could have. Who knows? I had these visions of birthdays, my marriage, my children, My brothers and sisters, all of their children, and me not being there. And this vision was so stark. And it was this, I saw this black cloud over my parents' house. Because in my head, I'm thinking, I'm better off not being here, right? But I'm not seeing the reality from the other perspective of what I'm going to leave my parents with. Like, forever. That's it. At the age of 30, they lost their older child. It's a very horrible, it's a very, you know, I hate to say the word selfish, but it is. I haven't thought about what's going to happen to them afterwards. And I had a friend that committed suicide when I was 24. And I always thought he was selfish. I didn't know any better. Until you experience it, you have to be at rock bottom to be even contemplating suicide. And I think we have to have so much compassion for humans. And for me, it actually made me connect to a deeper part of me that took away this identity of being a fitness coach or a boxer or nazi. Like, who is she in the end?
0: Look, I love it. I'll just echo what I said earlier on. Have that safe place. Share it. Tell the truth to the people that matter the most. Yeah. And well, what was it? Write the letter to yourself. I, mean, I that, still
1: write letters to myself.
0: Yeah. Look, we believe in that. Actually, yeah. we do it every ninety days. With, we have to. Yeah. So, you. I mean, it's very powerful. In a letter five years from now, mm. did you describe someone completely different to what you were? Was it almost the polar opposite?
1: I just wanted to be happy. That's all I wrote in that letter. There was like four segments. Like, how do you want to show up in your relationships, work, um, oh, I forgot now. Like for me, marriage, children was really important. Um, Being a successful fitness coach was really important. Um, Healing was very important. What makes people happy? That's a really nice question. What makes people happy? Like the small things. Like the small things. I do like that. I do like that. Yeah, like for me, what makes me happy, if I can walk up the street and somebody says good morning to me or I can say good morning to them. And I do this all the time. What makes me happy is, like I do this and I don't share this on social media or anything, but giving to other people. Yeah. Like no things, buying somebody coffee, buying, leaving a five pound note somewhere or buying somebody randomly a flower. I like to,
0: to go in a coffee shop and pay like extra, pay double. Yeah. Set. Whoever comes in next, yeah. give me. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I think there's happiness in giving because there's a law of it coming back to you as well. And I'm never not at loss. I'm always going to have something.
0: Is the biggest gift in life to give?
1: 100%. 100%.
0: But, you, you know, I actually did, asked the, it's a deep question that what yeah. makes you happy. The first thing you said was the little things. Mm. And as soon as you said that, it was like, it's so true, isn't it? Yeah. The littlest things. Yeah. When you don't have the little things anymore, you miss them.
1: Absolutely, like for me, the little things could be, like I love receiving, good morning texts from people that mean a lot to me. Um, Somebody taking.
0: Do you you love the? Do people love them more when they lose them, when they don't have, when they don't get them?
1: Say that question again. Do you
0: miss it? Yes, 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 yes. yes, You can take them for granted, can't you? That's what. That's the point. It's like. But th- this is where it comes back to your gratitude. When you yeah. realize that actually that's just one of those little things that's making me happy. And that's another one of those mm. little things that's making me happy.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like when I remember coming out of depression, I met my best friend at that time. We, I didn't know who she was. We just met up. And she gave me the biggest ever gift that anybody could give me. And it was just words. And what she said was, you have something in you, nausea that you haven't tapped into. Don't give up. I believe in you. And I remember she said that. Is that
0: the best gift anyone can give? Oh my God, yes. Belief in someone else. Yes,
1: absolutely. I think there's so many gifts that we can give people, but the power of words can shift everything. Like I do this at work with my clients. I help clients come out of depression, suicide, overcoming disorders. I deal with clients that go through domestic violence. You heal them. Like the power of words and the knowledge that I have now and what I give back to my clients... You co- it's priceless. So when somebody comes back and says to me, "It's because of you and the program that changed me," but not only changed me, it saved my life. You can't. There's an, I can't explain it, James. It's like a very euphoric feeling, and that euphoric feeling I've been trying to capture since my boxing days. And what gives me that? But I also have to step back and think. Okay, what makes me happy? What gives me joy? Petting a dog, for me, gives me a lot of love and joy. Yeah. <laughs> Having coffee gives me joy.
0: Yeah, good coffee. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, it gives a lot of people a lot of joy.
1: Yeah.
0: Stop being grateful for those coffees, yeah? Absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, and get happiness from it. Yeah. Um, one of the classics books... Uh, how to win friends and influence people. I was
1: just talking about that book <laughs> <laughs> before, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before yeah, I came yeah, up yeah. here. Yeah. So <laughs> no way. But,
0: but there you go. I mean, oh, the book wow, works in mysterious ways. Wow. Right? So Carnegie says in that book, fame, fame will not bring you happiness. Fortune, money will not bring you happiness. What brings you happiness mm. is deep, real, mm. lasting relationships. One hundred. You know, which is which is in addition to what you've already said about the little things and being grateful. Mm. So,
1: I think we miss those points, though, isn't it? But we have to also be grateful for ourselves for being here. We we've, we've climbed mountains to be here as human beings, and every single one of us has a story, and we can't forget our stories and be grateful for that part of us as well. And that brings me a lot of joy. Like when I think everything I had to overcome as an Asian Bangladeshi Muslim female, it's crazy, but it gives me a lot of joy. I was able to do it, breaking those barriers and the stereotypes.
0: Can we just circle back to where we started, actually?
1: Yeah, where we started. Talk,
0: talk about self-image.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Are you,
0: are you proud of who you are?
1: That's a difficult question. Well, this
0: is the first time we've met. Um. And, and uh, you know, but from where I'm sat, I'm like shocked that you're not.
1: Um, It's something I had to discover in therapy last year, why I don't take praise so well.
0: (laughs) Right, What what did they say?
1: It came back to like um, as an adult who we are now is a result of everything we experienced as a child.
0: Yeah.
1: Listen, in our Asian communities, we don't get praise. We don't get, well done. We don't get, I'm so proud of you, I love you. Our parents find it really hard to say that, not just in my community, but in a lot of other communities. So as a child, you grow up not getting that feedback. So reparenting myself again in the last year or so has to be the, one of the most challenging things that I had to do. So when you ask me that question, am I proud of myself? I don't know how to answer it in the first instant, but if I really think about it, yes, I am very proud of myself, but I need a lot of reminders of the things that I've done. What are you proud of? Um, I don't want work to be my point of something that makes me who I am, because that's not who I am all the time. I'm proud of the woman I've become. I'm proud of overcoming some of the most craziest times in my life. I'm proud of being able to um, like myself when I look in the mirror. I'm proud of saying to myself, you are not, you're enough. Today you're enough. You've always been enough. I'm proud of those things that makes me who I am. Did someone teach you that? Marissa Piers.
0: Marissa Piers did she? She spoke at one of our conferences. uh,
1: Marissa Piers was a turning point for me in what way the affirmation of i'm I'm enough when i went to the depression i forgot to mention this to you how did i come out of it i went to one of her events and i mean she was she's so beautiful her presence is just so radiant and one of the things she said was we don't feel good enough in anything it's because we don't feel enough you can be rich and you still don't feel enough and my it was a penny drop moment oh my god overnight i changed like overnight
0: it was an epiphany
1: yeah. Oh my god! I can't even explain it. Like I was depressed the night before, and the next morning I was like, "I'm enough." It just changed everything, and my affirmations did you that c- I have just
0: connect loads of pieces of the jigsaw together. Yes,
1: what? because why did I have an eating disorder? Why did I want to be an amateur boxer? Because I didn't feel good enough all the time. As an elder sister, as a woman, whatever, whatever described me, I never felt good enough. So one of the affirmations that I have in the self image construction program is I'm enough, I'm strong and um oh my god I forgot my own goddamn affirmation I'm amazing <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's funny
1: yeah and I do this all the things patting people like you know you have to pat yourself down what? you, you make
0: me want to pat myself yeah. down yeah, you you tell have me to, about when the you, science behind
1: this, this I don't know what the science really is to be fair but I can't remember is it the just guy. touching
0: yourself making this is real Yeah, this is you
1: it's just a connection like the oxytocin that comes up and right. you're like affirming it and your body's listening every part of your body's listening to yourself talk who's another guy that we have to talk about Maxwell Waltz right 1960s, I think it was, pioneering surgeon, plastic surgeon. And he spoke about this. And everybody needs to listen to his audio because that was a changing force for me. I never went to a self-development workshop. So what he said was, he at the time was the most famous plastic surgeon. And he had all these people that came to him to change the way they looked. He had nose jobs done. They had ear jobs. You name it, they had it done. Yet, these same people who weren't happy with the way they looked would come back for a top-up. So he then asked a question. What is it that they're not happy about? It was a self-talk. The the way they saw themselves and the self-image is how you speak to yourself when nobody's around you. Are you being kind to yourself? That's why you have to be so kind to yourself. Learn how to cultivate.
0: Repeat the gentleman's name.
1: Maxwell Maltz.
0: Maxwell Maltz.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's Maltz, not Waltz. (laughs) Maltz.
0: And he was a plastic surgeon in the 1960s. Yeah. Got it. We'll find that. But
1: imagine what we are living in now. Everybody's got these boob job, butt job. Everything's reconstructed.
0: Boob job, butt job.
1: Yeah. Because people are unhappy. But it's not that they're unhappy with the way they look. They're unhappy with the way they feel inside. Mm. And it's a feeling that we have to also entertain, not just what we look like. If you're not feeling good about yourself, it doesn't matter. Even if you've got gold dripped in, you're not going to appreciate it as much.
0: So that obviously got accelerated when social media became present because it's the visual aspect of it. Mm. There's arguably more visual things in our worlds now than ever before, you know, like video calls and Mm. even Zoom meetings at at work. And is that getting worse or better, that self image?
1: No. In my opinion, it's getting worse by what I'm seeing with clients as well, even with men, the pressures of looking a certain way aesthetically. Right. I think it's damaging people more because young people are having, if you're a young person, you have access to TikTok, social media, and these are the times when your brain has still been developing and you get this sense of who you need to be, it's absolutely horrible. Like, we grew up in a time where we didn't have social media, yet I still had problems the way I looked. Correct. Now it's ten times more, and I think more people are in a crisis of, um, you know, the mental health is not healthy at the moment, and because young children are vulnerable, so whenever they're feeding themselves with these kind of images, what they think they should look like, expectations or beauty standards, it's not healthy. It's not healthy at all. It's getting worse, I think. In my opinion.
0: Well, we've got a few. We've got a few more questions for you. Quick five questions, please. Are you ready? Go on. You ready for this? So just in quick succession, what's your favorite book?
1: My favorite book? Um, it has to be the one by Joe Dispenza. And I forgot the title of it.
0: He does a lot of YouTube videos as well. Yeah,
1: it? there was one that I really enjoyed listening to. I studied it. Now I can't remember the name of it.
0: NLP type thing.
1: Oh my God, how can I not remember the name of my friend? It's all right,
0: book? we'll come to but you. But the Joe
1: Dispenza books are amazing, but yeah. come back to me. And
0: his, uh, all his videos are amazing yes. as well. I mean, yes. Very profound speaker. Yes. Um, favorite movie?
1: Gladiator. Why? The victoriousness, the heroicness, the hymn. Yeah. Oh, everything about that yeah. movie. Yeah, I've watched movie. that like. 20 times and I'll watch it yeah. again Maximus again. yes we've
0: got a Maximus over there as well there you go <laughs> yeah uh, what's your, what's your favourite music
1: anything that calms me I think okay it's not music but it's listening to the Quran and there's right. a specific recital. I call it Oma Hisham it just yeah. I have to listen calm to it a bit. oh my god
0: so some stuff to calm me down yeah alright if you could have a superpower what would it be any superpower <laughs>
1: Um. Oh my god
0: And by the way This was Maximus That wanted to, uh, us To ask you this question
1: A superpower I think No I don't want it I already am it Being a woman Is my superpower Okay So Why do I need to
0: Being Nazia Yeah Gatton Yeah, yeah. I like that okay.
1: Thank you Maximus Yeah there you go
0: <laughs> Just a bit of self Empowerment <laughs> Going on over here Early bird or night owl?
1: Early bird, definitely.
0: And do you have a morning routine?
1: Yes, it takes me like an hour and a half. I'm such a princess with my morning routine. I try to cut it down, but it doesn't happen. <laughs> it really doesn't.
0: Can you give us the ingredients?
1: Yes, wake up. It takes 15, 20 minutes for my brain to wake up.
0: I'm <laughs> such a princess.
1: <laughs> I am. And then I do my gratitude journal, pray, yeah. shower. I'm showering in itself is like yeah. another routine that you have to do put your makeup on this is hard work you know dressing up for myself and the world is hard work (laughs) you know doing all the affirmations does it
0: does does it bring you happiness
1: oh absolutely the little things these are the little things absolutely Absolutely. my morning routine is by far is you i I don't negotiate on it like the routine going to the gym you don't negotiate on it
0: and if you could have one day in someone else's life in throughout history muhammad ali why I love how fast you went. Yeah. Why?
1: Why? Because.
0: Would you would, would there be a particular day? I'm getting the visions of that poster where he stood over. <laughs>
1: no. I think the part I would like to have in the day in Ali's life is the time when he threw the medal away. And he stood up for his people in that time.
0: I'm getting goosebumps here. Yeah,
1: and that would have been, I would like to know exactly, I want to know his fears. I want to know what made him stand his ground. Muhammad Ali at his time, right, was pioneering. You, you're never going to get a man like that again in the history of time. For the time that he was born in, what, what happened, being an athlete, what he stood for, and that's interesting because Muhammad Ali's daughter, D- Leila Ali, came to my college when I was 17, And I didn't have a clue who she was, but I knew who Muhammad Ali was. And she was the one who inspired me to become a boxer. So I had Ali all throughout my boxing life. I studied Ali to the point where I felt like I was Ali. (laughs) Like win people's heart. And I feel like I've done that with my tribe now. Maybe
0: that's why you are like Gladiator.
1: Maybe, win people's heart.
0: Yeah, win the crowd.
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) If you can win people's heart, I think it's magical. It's like be, cultivate being a nice person.
0: Who've been the three biggest trusted advisors in your life?
1: Biggest advisors,
0: trusted advisors. Oh
1: my God! I've never life. been asked this question. Um, I always turn to prayer. Yeah. Um, so
0: who are we going to say for that?
1: God. Okay. In a way, Allah. Um, what?
0: Because what did you get from God, or what do you get from God?
1: What do I get from God? Safety, I guess. Right. Knowing. I'm here for a reason. Okay. My purpose.
0: Two more. Biggest trusted um, advisors in your life?
1: I don't know. My sisters, I guess. My sisters. You can have your
0: sisters as one of them. Yeah. What did you get from your sisters? Or what do you get from your sisters? Oh
1: my God. Harsh reality. <laughs> that family. Yeah. It? But in a way, you need that. Yeah. To be... You can't be sugarcoating everything. And the last person... So you got
0: purpose from God. You got harsh realities from your sisters. And the last... Of the free trusted advisors?
1: People who don't like me.
0: Oh, <laughs> so you're saying actually this is what's made me. Yeah. What, did, what did you get from them? Or well, do you get from them?
1: Well, reality is they don't really hate me. They like me. They just enjoy like not liking me. because. What's not
0: to like about you, by the way?
1: There's a lot because I, this is the conversation I was having with a friend coming up. Like I worked in a gym. 10 years ago, and there was females there um, who liked me at the beginning, but they didn't like me by the end because I was doing better than them. And it wasn't they didn't like me as a person. They just didn't like what I was doing. And, you know, when you look at all everything that we do in society now, how we show up, people are hating on other people, being envious and all that kind of stuff, we're showing off all the time, our perfect life. But re- really, if you are somebody who doesn't like you, they will give you the honest feedback compared to the person who does like you. And I'm sure I picked that up from the book 48 Laws of Power.
0: Yeah, you must like quite a lot of that because you get a lot of that from your sisters as well. The harsh reality. But they
1: really upset me though sometimes. (laughs) Let's be honest. I have to just sit there and cry about it and then get over it.
0: All right, so if all of the listeners listening to this right now, off the back of this conversation, they knew 100% that we're going to succeed because of what they've learned from you today.
1: Because they will succeed.
0: Yeah, they're going to succeed because of what they've learned from you today.
1: Yeah, what would it be?
0: No, what would they do first?
1: (laughs) James, okay, what would they do first? Forgive, forgive yourself first.
0: It's good to answer that.
1: Yeah.
0: You hit me hard.
1: I locked eyes with you there as well when I said it, so I mean it. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you did, you did. Forgiveness. All right, so look, I've got a number of favourite parts of today's session at one point, you said, Look, I am, I am proud of the woman I've become. Yeah. That was definitely one of my favourite parts. But
1: it still makes me cringe when I say it, though.
0: That's all right. <laughs> as long as you say I have, it. I have and to feel own it. it. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah.
0: Well, you know, that's some of the other bits. The letter to yourself, owning it, living the truth. They've been my favourite parts. What have been your favourite parts?
1: When you asked me what made me really depressed. That bit. Why? You know, because it made me uncomfortable. Right. Um, and you,
0: you like that because you get it from your sisters and you get it from all the people that don't like you.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the parts um, when you asked me about, do I like myself? Because I want to walk away really thinking about that question. Am I proud of myself? That's what you asked me.
0: Well, I can safely say I'm very proud to have had you on this show today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: You've, you, you do radiate. Real pure values. Thank you. Enjoyed every single second of it.
1: Oh, thank you.
0: You're a rock star. Well <laughs> thank you thank very much.
1: You. Thank you so much for having me, it's a pleasure.